0: Welcome to Broken Potholes with your host Sam Stone and Chuck Warren. Fantastic and packed show for you today. Uh, our first guest uh, from the New York Times, and thank you so much for being here, Karan Deep Singh, uh, reporter for the New York Times, uh, talking about COVID, the wave that is going through India right now, very underreported here in the U.S. He's been doing some of the best work on this subject. And really an unbelievable human tragedy that's been unfolding chuck i know you want to jump in with some questions so take it away thank you thank you for joining us karan um question
1: so the center for global development uh, washington dc research think tank estimates now that there's an excess of three million deaths in india due to covid um a do you believe these numbers and b does does india have a plan to get better at this
2: Well, India's official numbers have been um, called into question repeatedly, and this has happened over and over again. Experts have said um, that India itself is not reporting uh, the true pandemic toll, Um, and they say that the numbers don't really add up because the tragedy that's unfolding in India, when you have four hundred thousand cases, they they've been saying that according to 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 the the numbers that they have calculated for India, its population, and for a virus circulating, um, especially with the highly transmissible variants that India has been seeing lately, they expect many more deaths. Um, And this is something my colleagues and I have been reporting um, pretty much since the pandemic began. uh, At the very height of the second wave in India, Um, we were seeing all kinds of reports of states uh, calculating much less deaths than were actually occurring. Um, the, The 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 funeral homes were full of dead bodies, and yet many funeral um, officials had to report only a certain number of deaths every day. And they would um, sort of mention the rest of the deaths as they would just say illness, or they would say somebody died of a heart attack, but not mention that they died because of COVID. And this is at a time when thousands of people are dying of COVID, so experts say Well, all of these other deaths that have probably taken place, they've happened because of COVID.
1: Right. India, so India has about a 7% vaccination rate, is that correct?
2: Less than 7%. Less than than 7%. So,
1: how does India expect to hit their goal of immunization of 900 million people by the end of the year? I mean, we're almost in August.
2: Well, it's going to be it's going to be very difficult for the government because uh, of not just um, how many people are are lining up each day for vaccinations, but also because there are only vaccines that India has, and even with um, the world's largest vaccine at its disposal, India has not been able to vaccinate people at the speed and scale it it. Was really hoping to do, and that's because India sort of miscalculated um, initially in the, in the pandemic how many vaccine doses it really needed. Um, you know, in you know, unlike the unlike the U.S. and and Britain, and these are of course much more wealthier countries than India. Um, they, they signed advanced purchase agreements of, of millions of doses. Um, but india waited um until january to to really place some of its initial uh, orders for for vaccines um but also because there was a there was a phase in india uh you know in, in, in like early this year in in february uh cases were were plateauing and the government felt um that you know india had had really had the pandemic under control, they didn't need as many vaccines, so they actually went out and they um, they started giving out vaccines, sort of as a as a gesture of goodwill, um, and it was really aimed at at diplomacy and and you know um, enhancing India's stand in the, in the global community uh, as as a as a global partner in the in the vaccine effort, um, but quickly that that fell through because India had a a steep rise in cases in March. And um, then uh, India's government had to um, stop exports of vaccines. But even after they've they've, they've stopped uh, the vaccine exports, there's there's not been as much um, vaccination because there are only as many doses at this time
0: so real quick, I, I want to ask one follow-up to that and then go back to the previous point about maybe the undercount and what's going on there. But is there help on the horizon from the international community? Is there any kind of brewing international effort to get more of the vaccines, to perhaps get healthcare workers who can administer them uh, and those types of resources to India? Uh, have you heard of anything yes. like
2: that? So, Yes, India has been getting help from from a lot of countries uh initially when the when the uh covid second wave hit uh india was was getting uh, not just vaccines but all kinds of help in terms of oxygen generation generators um cylinder oxygen cylinders uh oxygen plants uh, countries were, were were really sending all kinds of aid and and lately, yes, there have been more vaccines that have come through uh, international uh, agreements, and uh, some of that has been donated by countries. Um, and but the you know the 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 struggle that India sort of finds itself in is that it's even even with all of that help, it's it's sort of a drop in the ocean, and. Um, Especially because because of the, the the population, but also because in India there was there was this phase in between when people felt that there was, you know, that the that the the pandemic was, was sort of over. A letdown. And the phase. government, um, right. yes, and the government gave that impression. Um, Prime Minister Modi himself. Um, said in, in late January uh, in Davos that, that uh, India had, had had saved humanity from, from a big disaster by containing the pandemic. Um, India's former health minister, uh, who stepped down earlier um, this month um, amid anger over the government's COVID response, had assured the public in March that the country had really reached the pandemic's end game. Um, but All of those statements um, were quickly um, brought in check by the second wave that really devastated the country. Um, And hundreds of thousands of people were, um, you know, turning a positive each day. Thousands of people were dying. Some people were dying outside hospitals um, without any care. They were really just gasping for air on the streets, and, and there was no help, there, there was no oxygen that they could get. So, um, so,
1: well, I think most of our listeners don't know, I think most people don't know, period, is that, you know, there's a central and state governments in India, and they're squabbling. How is this holding up efforts to do immunizations, um, care given for hospitals? How much is there really squabbling going on between the central government and the states?
2: Well, f- initially uh, during the pandemic, um, the government of India was the sole uh, buyer of, of of all vaccines that India was administering. Um, but quickly, that was um, that sort of had a reality check because um, there were not as many vaccines available, and there was just so much need because of the second wave that everyone needed. A vaccine, um, and India quickly realized that there was that was not going to be possible. That every other country in the world requires vaccines, and India is no different. Um, so there was only as much vaccine that India could really get its hands on. So um, there was a there was a time in between when. The state governments uh, were asking the central government for more vaccines and the central government really didn't have as many vaccines so they they asked states um, that if you want to go and source your vaccines you're free to do that yeah. and that was that was sort of a surprising um move it's, it's it's unheard of for um vaccine uh manufacturers to deal with separate states um in a you know in a mm-hmm. country, so a lot of a lot of vaccine makers said, "Well, we 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 won't deal with you. We we would deal with the central government." And um, the states reported back to the central government and said, "Look, we're not able to get the doses." So uh, this this led to heavy criticism of the government's vaccine strategy. And over time, uh, Prime Minister Modi's government had to really come back to its original plan of securing all vaccines on its own. We've only got Um, two minutes
0: left here, but I I wanted to to ask one more question. India obviously does not have the medical infrastructure that people are familiar with here in the United States or in in much of Europe. And with these vaccines, the, the storage, the transport, all these things logistically are very difficult and I think people around the world here in the United States everywhere else have sort of overlooked that element of the vaccine rollout that it it, in just manufacturing all these vaccines is a a Herculean task Uh, but then all the distribution network everything else how much is that hampering India right now and how much of a concern is that for other countries with less developed medical systems
2: there was a big concern uh, early on in the pandemic and even now um, that India was not really using all of its resources to give out vaccines. Um, you know, even for a country of 1.4 billion people, India has a system of immunization that it has used over time. And it has really used it well. It has it has immunized people uh, against... A lot of other diseases that, um, you know, yeah. a lot of Western countries. Ron, I, I apologize. Been able to do.
0: We're going to have so, to go to break and I have to uh, cut you off here. I want to thank you so much for being on the show with us today. It is a, a pleasure to have you on here. And for those who are not following Kanan Deep Singh in the New York Times, please do because this is really important information. You're not getting anywhere else. Broken Potholes coming back.
2: The 2020
1: election is over. Now it's time for you to get ready to run for 2022. First step, getting your .vote campaign web address with your first and last name. Say your name is Janet Jones. A web address like www.janetjones.vote is the perfect way to get voters to remember your name all the while reminding them to vote. Visit GoDaddy today to kick off your 2022 campaign right.
0: Welcome back to Broken Potholes. I'm your host, Sam Stone. Chuck Warren, my co-host, in the studio with me today. On the line, a reporter we are very excited to talk to, Carlos Martinez of the Miami Herald. He has been covering what's going on in Cuba. This is really pretty historic, what's happening right now. It's very different than perhaps past protests. And I don't think most of the American public is really even aware of it. So, Carlos... Thank you for being on the show, first of all, and then tell us what happened, what started this, what's happening.
3: Okay, guys. Well, thank you for having me here. Uh, it's been a pleasure. So, I of what is happening right now in Cuba. Uh, on July eleventh, unprecedented protests took place in Cuba. Uh, finally, thousands of people took the street and, and began to shout for freedom and call for a change of system. The protests started in the area of the western part of the island, called San Antonio de los Baños, and from there they began to spread the, throughout the island. People were protesting peacefully until President uh, the president, Miguel Canal gave the order to fight the protesters. Uh, at that moment, the violence began. Military, paramilitary. Paramilitary are these people who dress in like, civilian clothes and defend the regime. Uh, they took the streets uh, to live with mittens, old, rocks, and fire weapons, uh, the people that were protesting peacefully. because in Cuba, the people, they, they don't have uh, arms, they don't have, like, weapons. So, according to what the people from Cuba have told me so far, some videos can be seen on the Internet, the regime forced young people of 16, 17, 18 years old, which is considered in Cuba like the military age, to take the streets and fight against the the protesters. Uh, Coincidentally, the internet was caught up in Cuba when the violence started, and Cubans uh, were without internet access for almost three and four days, allowing time for the tempers to calm down a bit. Until today, uh, there have been people taking streets, and at this moment, more than 500 people have been arrested or disappeared. Wow.
1: When you're arrested, do you just plain disappear in Cuba?
3: That's right.
1: When you are arrested in Cuba, we have read various stories. Oh, no,
3: no, 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 no. Uh, I came when I was 17 years old. I was going to study journalism oh. in Cuba, but uh, I came in, in that specific moment. So.
1: Okay. So, when right now, Cuba's doing arrest. Um,
0: they're taking these
3: protests. Pro- what,
1: what, explain to our audience what happens once you are arrested in Cuba for protesting? What, what, is, uh, what, what happens?
3: Uh, well, uh, the people uh, right now writing an article. People uh, are getting beaten, and inside those uh, police departments, uh, they get getting naked, and people start telling them, like, uh, bad words, uh, they uh, arrest them sexually, uh, you don't have the, the right to defend yourself, you don't have the right to have a lawyer, you don't have the right to talk to your family. That is, that is happening right now in Cuba when, when you get in jail. Yeah. And right now there are, like, people who... Their families
0: haven't known from them, like, in two weeks. It's, this is just amazing to me because Cuba should be, without this totalitarian regime in control of it, Cuba should be one of the most wonderful places on the planet, one of the most economically successful places on the planet. And this regime has really, really just oppressed its own people for generations now. And they're rising up. They have no guns. It's like you said. They they don't have any weapons. They don't have anything to really fight back with. No. And they know that this stuff you just talked about is happening to them. And they're doing it anyway. I, that it, it, That's just amazing. And, and I think it speaks to the, the character of the Cuban people. Because, you know, you see this around the world. People are not willing to take that step and put themselves at risk. It, it's... It's incredibly admirable, admirable, but it's incredibly sad. How is this for all the Cuban families living in Florida, knowing that many of their relatives may be at risk in this? They're not able to communicate with them. It's it's a really heartbreaking situation for everyone.
3: Yeah, well, uh, in that case, for that reason, uh, the Cuban exile is asking Joe Biden to first uh, free eating it for the people. Right? Because uh, in Cuba, the people, uh, they internet it. not owned by the government, right? So, that uh, they, they can cut up the internet like that. So, you can be in, uh, without communication with your family, because the government of Cuba wants that. So, that's the first thing they're asking to Joe Biden. Second thing they're asking is to judge and sanction the, the Cuban regime, what he's doing to the people in front of the wall. And the third, that's specifically the Cuban people. On the And um, some people also from Cuba they're really asking for is a humanitarian intervention because, as I said, Cuban people they don't have weapons, so they don't have a, like a way to fight back the regime. They're really shooting at the people without without weapons. So they're asking for a humanitarian intervention right now. Or another case there is uh, uh, a law is called 6867 that doesn't allow like boats, Cuban boats from Florida to go to Cuba. Um, so we can fight for our people. That's the point what people are asking for right now and here in South Florida.
1: Has the Cuban government stopped remittance from family and friends in the United States to Cuba? How is that being affected right now?
3: Uh, Well, they haven't. Uh, Right now, uh, Joe Biden, uh, he's trying to find a way so people can send more remittance to Cuba. Uh, Also, uh, without the government uh, being in the middle of of that negotiation with the, with the Cuban people. But what is happening right now, the people of Cuba, they are not asking for remittances. They were asking for freedom. Right. And Congresswomen, con- congressmen like Michael Rubio, uh, Maribira Salazar, Diaz Ballard, they have said that million times. they are be asking for freedom, not for renaissance, because they are tired of getting renaissance for another country. They, they just want to to develop by themselves.
0: Do you think, and and obviously this is this is a difficult thing to say, but do you think it is time for the U.S. the UN to go in and, and send in UN peacekeepers? Or well,
3: the I I kind of tell you that because that would be my opinion, but that's what the people are asking for. The I, majority of the people they're asking
0: for, and I I can't tell you how much I appreciate you telling us what they're asking for rather than your opinion. Uh, You're obviously a very, very good journalist. So, uh, you know, that is something I think I think it's time for us to consider that, Chuck. I I think it's time for us to look at doing something. I I,
1: I was listening to some uh, I was listening to an NPR podcast this morning and the folks in Miami are just plain asking for military action. I mean, that's true. And let me ask you this, Carlos. Is that a widespread Opinion and desire that the United States take military action with the folks protesting in in Miami, Miami-Dade area.
3: Uh, well, right now, Francis Suarez he gave his opinion about this topic, and he said that Biden uh, needs to consider it to, to intervene in Cuba. So that, that's a fact. I mean, people want it.
0: Yeah. Um, well. Uh, this is, this is really an unprecedented situation because there have been uprisings before, but nothing at this level. And, and frankly, I think if you took communism or, or the, you know, the sort of left ideology out of it, I think we'd be intervening. If this was a so-called fascist right-wing regime, wouldn't we be there right now? It would be interesting. We're going to take a quick break. We're with Carlos Martinez from Miami Herald
1: t- talking about the Cuba situation. We'll be back right after this quick break.
2: 2020 sure was a fun political year, wasn't it? Well, if you're up for the challenge of taking on the political field in 2022, then you can get a head start on all your opponents by going to GoDaddy.com and securing a .vote web address with your first and last name. Get started today before any of your competitors do.
0: Welcome back to Broken Potholes with your host, Sam Stone, and Chuck Warren on the line with us. Carlos Martinez of the Miami Herald. We're talking about Cuba, some really historic happenings there. And Chuck, you were asking a question right before we went to break. How is this different than past protests? Oh Well, uh,
3: every time there is a popular discount in Cuba, the Cuban government chooses to open borders and let those who disagree with the government to live. The, I think it was in the 80s, yeah, in the 80s there was a great popular discount in Cuba, but the people did not take this truth right now. That time it was called like the, the Mariel, that's the way it was, it was called. Uh, they, they got out of the country, uh, gay people, people who didn't believe in the system, uh, people who didn't work, uh, they get also assassins from the jail, they send it to the, to the U.S. And in the 90s, which is considered the time of the special period in Cuba after the socialist camp of the Soviet Union fell, hundreds of people took the streets in 1994 in Havana, which is known as Maleconazo. But what protests, uh, those protests did not last that long. Fidel was alive at that time, and his military forces arrived and they could manage to calm down the
1: situation in that moment. We're with Carlos Martinez, reporter Miami Herald, who's been covering the Cuba protest and what's going on down there and in South Florida. Um, Carlos, how has the Internet emboldened people, allowed them to grow their protests? I understand reading, um, basically your articles too, that the Cuban government shut down the Internet, but I'd imagine the Cuban government needs the Internet as well to do business somewhat. Um, What's going on with that? What role has that played, and how long can the government continue to shut down the Internet?
3: Uh, Well, uh, in 2016, the people in Cuba began to have, like, more access to the Internet. At that time, there uh, began some influencers on social media, like Otaola, Yusar Those people uh, are very popular in the Cuban-American community. I've then been, like, working and asking it, the people from Cuba to take out the streets and fight for the freedom. So that's the only way you can unmatch that again, that because until July 11, there were people who still believe that Cuba is a heaven and earth. So what happened when you cut up the internet? Well, the government in Cuba has the power of that, because uh, there's only one, like, platform when you can get the internet, it's called a taxa only one. There's no like here that you have AT&T, T-Mobile, and you can get whatever you want. When in Cuba, you have only one. And when stuff like this happens, they just cut it up. And what happens when you have a country without eating? You cannot know what's happening in there. You don't know if people are getting killed. You don't know if people are getting beaten. So they did that. They're just going to kill us from the world. That's a big problem.
1: That's a huge problem. Uh, Carlos, could you explain to our audience, tell us why daily life is like in Cuba for daily, an average family what's it like? Uh,
3: what's it like well uh, I mean in, in case of regular Cuban family yes uh, well you don't have milk in the breakfast that's usually uh, people students they go to school sometimes without having a uh, breakfast because uh, they, they don't have the like the possibility to have that. Just something as simple as milk, like done. That's one thing. Uh, people like me, journalists, uh, they, we don't have the like the right to write whatever we want. We cannot be like independent. If you do that, you go to jail for that simple reason. Also, happening Kiva, uh, you have to uh, you have to make like a big like lines to get some chicken. Uh, I mean, lines are like two blocks of lines. To get some chicken, uh, there is some stores in Cuba that the only way you can buy stuff in there is with dollars, with the like dollar from here, from US. and How people can get that? These people in Cuba don't get paid with the US, with the US bill. So they have those stores in Cuba where they have a lot of food, a lot of everything, and people don't have like the ability to get that food. And the national art stores. They don't have anything. They, they have a lack of, lack, lack of food, uh, water, and everything. So there's nothing in Cuba.
1: And ha- what, what about the medical situation regarding COVID? You know, that's initially what the Cuban officials said. This is because of COVID. Um, other people who were giving tacit endorsement of Cuban government were saying the same thing. What is the situation with COVID in Cuba?
3: Uh, well, uh, the U.S., I think they offer Cuba a program that is called COVAC. That program was supposed to get vaccines to countries like Cuba. And they denied it because they were working their own vaccines, which are not vaccines already. They are used like a like a, it's not a regular vaccine. They're still like working on it. Hmm. And what is happening right now, they have like a spike on the COVID cases. They don't have enough like personal in the in the hospitals because probably the most of the time they're out of the country working on other countries. Carlos, I apologize,
0: I have to cut you off. We are about to go to break right here, but I wanna thank you so much for being on the program. Carlos Martinez of the Miami Herald, Talking Cuba, Broken Potholes, coming right back.
2: When you're running for office, your name is on the ballot. So why not have your website be your name? If your name is John Smith, you need a .dot .vote web address that says, www.johnsmith.vote. 2022 will come faster than you think. Visit GoDaddy today and kick off your new campaign with a new personalized web address.
0: Welcome back to Broken Potholes. Airing Saturday, 3 p.m., 960 KKNT, The Patriot in Phoenix. You can catch us on Substack. You can catch us on Spotify. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts. On the line with us, Carlos Martinez of the Miami Herald. Uh, Carlos, before we let you go today, and, and thank you so much for being on the show, telling our, uh, our audience what is going on in Cuba. Uh, what, is, what is your message that, that you need that you see that needs to get out there right now to the American public?
3: Uh, well guys i just want to thank you first and then i wanna uh, i want you to share the message with you please every time you see something regarding cuba please share that message because there are people dying right now in cuba there are people dying because they don't have food they don't have vaccines um the first thing that we need in cuba is freedom so please share a message if you haven't had uh, in hashtag call it's sos cuba please help us to share this message
0: thank you Thank you so much. Carlos Martinez of the Miami Herald, fantastic to have you on the program today, and it's it just a really sad time for the people of Cuba. Carlos, right, we'll hope
1: you'll join us again here next month, and hopefully things have gotten better or there's been some movement, but we appreciate your time today. Okay.
3: Well, I appreciate it. Thank, Thank you, so Carlos.
1: Long. Appreciate Thank it.
0: You. Well, um, some heavy heavy stuff on the yeah,
1: program you know, today. Yeah, yeah, the thing about it is— yeah. You know, a lot of people in America just like to moan and groan about America. (laughs) They just really don't know what's going on. No. I mean, you know, I mean, so we're talking about Cuba. That's not only dealing with COVID. It's probably, it's like India. It's been underreported. Let's be blunt about it. They're not being honest about it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, You have a government that doesn't want to take help from people that can actually give it help. Right. Right. You know, if Venezuela was anything it was 10 years ago, they'd probably be in there, but they're they're a mess. Right. Right. it's, it's certainly putting a so, lie
0: to a lot of the stuff that you hear about how great Cuba's medical system. Oh, yeah, because that's what you. I mean,
1: look, everybody. Um, you know, Michael Moore, Sean Penn, they have the best healthcare system in the world. They had the best education system in the world. You know, the thing I'm always told about socialism is you get food, good health care and good education, and they have struck out, and that's probably an analogy they love in Cuba, is they love baseball. Right. They are striking out, you know, so we have that, and then we have all our Yahoos here moaning and groaning about America. And in India they probably have got three and a half million people who have died of COVID. That number, when we have our guests back on in September, is probably gonna be four million plus. At least probably 5 million by december folks stop moaning and groaning about america yes stop moaning and groaning about your state if you have a complaint get involved get your vaccine But whenever i hear people complain about america i'm like
0: yeah you haven't traveled much have you no no that's absolutely true because that what's going on in cuba is as absolutely astounding and folks I, as I think I mentioned on the program. I've really come to love YouTube reactions. I love seeing people's first reaction to stuff, and I really encourage you to go out, look up, Cuban reacts to Costco, first visit to Costco. Uh, this channel, Yoel and Mari, uh, he is Cuban, she's American. Uh, managed, I assume, to basically smuggle him over here. I'm not sure exactly how he got here, but she's been taking him around and introducing him to America, and and, and it's really heartwarming, but it's heartbreaking because she, yes. He goes in there, and and the first time he goes into a grocery store, this guy's literally in tears because he's he knows what his family, his mother, is dealing with with no food, and 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 you know no access to any of this stuff, and you know you it this is a this is Disneyland. A, a, A average U.S. supermarket is Disneyland to a Cuban. Well. To
1: not only Cuban but probably at least fifty percent of the world, right? At a minimum. Um, so um, uh, we're with our great associate producers, um, Jamie and the irrepressible Kip today. And so Sam called me this morning. I was busy and I didn't pay a lot of attention to. But Sam had a gripe this I morning, do. and we're gonna we're gonna sort of open this time for Sam's Phoenix gripe. We need a hashtag for that. Hashtag Phoenix gripe. Can we get that in the future? Hashtag Phoenix gripe. Sam, what? What were you grumpy about this morning?
0: You know, so yesterday I got a call from somebody, and I'm going to leave their name out of it because they were already taking some flack. Good. Good. But we got a call about some camping activity in the canals uh, where, you know, Phoenix has spent a ton of money, folks, like uh, almost every city. We've spent literally hundreds of millions of dollars trying to upgrade our recreational opportunities and so we put in these white you know multi-use paths for walking biking running and all this kind of stuff along all our canals and you know it's a really great opportunity to get a little bit out out of the city while you're still inside of it to be able to enjoy these things but the fact is a lot of our residents are not comfortable using them for that purpose in fact what we've done is spend hundreds of millions of dollars creating really lousy camping areas for our homeless population. And we're basically throwing that investment away. We're getting calls, you know, pretty regularly in our offices about incidents around these canals where you've got a woman jogging down the thing and a guy comes out of the bushes, you know. uh, How How often do you get reports like that? Pretty regularly. They happen every week. Well, I mean, others get more of them. And and a lot of them, I know, could just go unreported because... Would you let your significant other or your daughter or your sister run those canals? Not alone. Not alone. Absolutely not. And for years, for years, we have been told at the city of Phoenix that there's absolutely nothing we can do about that. That's federal land. And camping is allowed on federal land. And so we can't take any steps. What I learned is that no, that's a lie. I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. This is a lie that City of Phoenix staff has told us because basically all they have to do is fill out some paperwork with the Bureau of Reclamation to designate that as a no-camping area. And And by the way, we are spending tens of millions of dollars right now on expanding our homeless services, like, you know, our homeless service campus. We're putting up hotels to put them in. We're doing all sorts of stuff. If there's ever a time we don't want to just wipe this problem under the rug. It's right now. And yet that's what city staff was doing. They didn't even come to council and tell us this. And they've hidden all the problems throughout this thing. They're not even telling us. I mean, the only reason we know is we get calls from our constituents. They're not telling us about this. They knew. They knew about the solution and they refused to bring it up. Now, this is a purely political decision, I know for a fact that council offices were not informed. I do not know if the mayor was aware or not. Frankly, I think that's a good question. But at the end of the day, folks, this homelessness problem is out of control. And we continue. There is this liberal philosophy in government that says we just need to leave them alone and let them do their thing. But that is inhumane. So what can the citizens of Phoenix do to stop this immediately? Well, the citizens of Phoenix need to get on the horn and start calling their council members and tell them to fix this now. All we have to do is sign a letter to the Bureau of Reclamation and we can designate these no camping areas. We can clean them up. We can get them out of the canals and look around. Phoenix last night got the first really heavy monsoon rain we've had in a couple of years. So I think we're all like the dog coming out of the pond today, shaking the water off, happy as happy as can be, right? But what else you're going to see is a massive explosion in homelessness all across the valley or what appears to be a massive explosion in homelessness. And the reason is really simple. We hide the problem in our canals and irrigation ways almost all the time. And then when something like this happens – Obviously, the water starts flowing. They have to get out of there. People are going to drown. Yeah, but you also—I mean—talk about the environmental damage because you have all sorts of feces with these camps. You have feces. You have urine. You have all sorts of vi I mean, you know, chemical stuff. They're bringing you know oil cans down in there. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff.
1: So, what the citizens of Phoenix need to do to clean this up, to not only make it safe, but also when you have monsoon season, this is a dangerous place for these homeless folks to oh, be. it's incredibly I mean, dangerous. I mean, we get flash floods. Well, and you're having it all weekend. I mean, yeah. so this will not be surprising sometime by Sunday night we have somebody who's been swept away by the water right. or so forth. So what they need to do is contact their council people. We'll yep. have um, Jamie, let's put that on Broken Potholes' um, website and social media, contact them and tell them to send this letter. I, You know, for all the for all the angst the former president caused, I am sure there's something of Alert had been sent to his Bureau of Reclamation that this probably would have been taken care of rather quickly.
0: It would have been taken care of instantaneously without any question. And I mean, look, folks, this goes to the approach. It's time. We are doing a lot for our homeless population, but a lot of what we're doing is enabling. We're allowing them to continue to use drugs and, and have their uncompensated mental illness and live on the street. And frankly, here in Phoenix, that is inhumane. It's 100 plus degrees all the time. The weather, you know, it's not the environment for that. You have to stand up. This is the time. You have to stand up to these policies that have said, let just let them be, because right now they have the homeless population is having a massive, massive impact on the broader population. So,
1: Sam, in case people don't know, what are the tactics, the strategy that the city of Phoenix, the money they're spending on the homeless to mm-hmm. try to, you know, a lot of these folks need help right it is what it is right so let's we're not going to be callous about it but no. we also need to keep people safe we also need to put them on a trajectory where they're successful yes. where they feel purpose what are some of the things the city of phoenix is doing for the homeless population of phoenix that most people don't realize
0: well for one thing we are massively expanding our shelter capacity we're adding in a no barrier shelter we have supported a number of outside organizations across the valley to increase their capacity We are coordinating with other Valley cities to get them in the fight for the first time. And so there are a lot of resources being poured into this. There's resources for mental health. There's resources for drug addiction treatment. Uh, We're doing everything but the one thing we need to be doing, which is enforcing the law. and, And when the homeless population violates that law, you give them a choice to go into treatment or face the criminal justice system. And, that's what we need to be doing. That is the solution. And by the way, the countries in Europe that deal with homelessness, well, that's what they do. Um, let's talk about our guests a little bit today.
1: I, I really liked both of them. I, I thought they were actual journalists.
0: They are. Both of them <laughs> Car-
1: are actual Carlos, journalists. Carlos Martina- Martinez has obviously lived this. Yes. Uh, we were not able to get into the fact that I am sure he has a handful or two of relatives still over there. He said he came here in 17. Was that correct? Yeah. 17. Uh, I
0: would like to have both of them on for a full program because I think it would be very interesting to well, dive it was into
1: Well, it's funny. When, when Kip was arranging them, they were both – they both undersold what they wanted to say, you know. Um, and, you know, it's funny. They're, they're both very knowledgeable. And I don't think – you know, we and we want knowledge yeah. here. But I, I thought it was really interesting. And, again, um, we need more journalism like that. Yes. Um, and we need more people reading <laughs> journalism like that yeah. <laughs> instead well, of going to these – alternative left and right blogs all the time I mean there's some real you know as much as I give uh, as much as the New York Times has become especially on the opinion page a a liberal wag um, their international reporting is excellent and folks
0: take the time to read it yeah absolutely and you know I really appreciate them coming on and particularly you know look for a reporter from the New York Times you're coming on a program with two guys who are pretty conservative in our own personal beliefs Uh, but if you look at our guests We have had a really broad array of guests from, you know, the New York Times today, obviously Washington Post, a lot of other outlets that would be considered on the left as well as ones on the right. And I think that's really brought better conversations here than you're getting in many other places. And I think it's the big thing that's missing in our media landscape, balance, balance. Balance
1: is bala- important. Who is the best reporter covering Phoenix City Council meetings? Is there one?
0: Uh, no. No, they're pretty terrible. Uh, Christina Estes uh, of the KJZZ, the P- local PBS station, is probably the best just because she's been on it for the longest. She so knows where all the bodies but are. But she has to cover a million other things, too. Uh, the the Arizona Republic just keeps assigning us kids who who don't know anything. Um, you know, the, the best reporter in town, literally the best reporter in town, I think, is Ray Stern with the Phoenix New Times, which is the most left paper here. But he's an old school journalist and he tries to stick to the facts and he's fair. Well, who do we have on our show next week? Next week, we got Ben Leshner from the Phoenix Police Lieutenant Sergeants and Lieutenants Association, PPSLA, uh, and a lady named Rachel Lastman who founded a program called Coins for Cops. We're going all in for law enforcement next week. Broken, Broken Potholes.
1: Join us next week's vote. BrokenPotholes.Vote or find us on Spotify, iTunes, Facebook. Upstack, Instagram, LinkedIn, whatever. We'll be there. Have a great week.
3: Introducing the web
2: address of the democratic process, Dot .vote. So how do you purchase your
0: .vote website? Visit www.yourname.vote. Type your website name, example www.johnsmith.vote. It's available. Add your web address to your cart and check out. Once checked out and have received confirmation, you may begin to create and utilize your website to connect and engage
3: voters. To learn more, visit get.vote. Happy campaigning!